Amen. Hey, guess what page we're on? 119, the prophet of Tom has spoken. That's right. And we are on the new topic of everybody's favorite topic. Isn't this exciting? God's discipline. Repeat after me. I love spankings. I love sp- Are you serious? You do? Okay, but that's right. Uh, but uh, that's really what it is. We're talking about spiritual discipline, discipline from the hand of God, okay? And uh, we talked about this a little bit before on the topic of the study we did, Why Do Bad Things Happen to God's People? That was one out of 20 reasons that I personally have come up with and experienced in my walk with Jesus Christ. But sometimes we do get spanked by God because we get out of line. But as we're going to see, once again, the classic text from Hebrews chapter 12, it's because he loves us. Okay, is the issue. And the problem that we have in the American church today, we've talked about this way back, but I call it a, a couple of things that's affecting the church, and I call it the buddy syndrome. Okay, and we've turned God into this giant cosmic buddy in the sky who's just this old grandfather rocking in the chair. And for those of you who have grandkids, you know you get the joy of not being the dad anymore uh, if you're a grandfather. Uh, you get to basically spoil them. And after you got them spoiled and hyped up on sugar, what do you do? You send them back home and, and you let them get away with stuff that you would never let your kids do. You know what I'm saying? And so that's what we've done. We've turned God into this great cosmic buddy in the sky uh, who's there at our beck and whim and, and he wouldn't, wouldn't even hurt a flea. But that's not what the scripture says. God is our heavenly father, not our heavenly grandfather. And when we get out of line, just like our earthly father, Hebrews 12, we'll get to that. Uh, he'll spank us, okay? But spanking is a good thing, okay? How many guys were spanked by your mom and dad? Alrighty. How many guys had the uh, spatula? Spatula. How many guys had the wooden spoon? How many guys had the belt of doom? How many guys, like me, when uh, dad was able to finally get one of your limbs, you did the limb dance, trying to escape, and you could not escape, <laughs> and you did the discipline dance, I call it. Uh, it went in circles, that's right. My sisters, one time, they almost made it through discipline, through humor. Uh, apparently it runs my family, uh, but uh, my mom told him to go down the basement and to get a switch. Had to get, anybody ever have to go cut your own switch back in the day? Oh, yeah. Well, the switch, you're going, what's it they doing in the basement? Well, in the house we lived in, the only way to heat the thing, we lived out in the middle of nowhere in Kansas, uh, was a wood stove, and we had to cut our own wood in the winter and keep it warm, and we had to send it down this old chute to this furnace, and so in the basements, that's where the wood was stored, and it was just really rough cut wood, so it had limbs on it, so they had to go down there and some of the logs... And they had to cut off a limb. And so what they did for humorous, mom says, get down there. You guys have been fighting again. Go get your switch. And so they went down there and they're laughing, giggling, coming up the stairs. And I'm as the younger brother. Uh, you guys never looked forward to your siblings getting punishment, did you? Yeah, whatever. Anyway, so <laughs> praise God for Mike and his honesty tonight. <laughs> anyway, so they're coming up the stairs giggling. I'm going, what's going on here? And what they did was instead of bringing back the switch, they brought back two logs and ha ha. And it was kind of funny. And it did cause my mom to laugh briefly. And she says, no, now get down, get the real one. And they still got it. But anyway, so discipline. All right, now how many guys have just uh, have learned? It took me until I was about 21. Remember when you went through that phase? It usually starts about 16, especially 17. And all of a sudden, mom and dad are really dumb. I mean, they don't know anything. They don't know what they're talking about. I mean, they're goofy. They've lost their marbles. And of course, you know it all, right? How many guys, it finally dawned on you how smart mom and dad was when you finally got out on your own and you had to pay your own bills and you're acquiring a new taste for top ramen and thanking God for that stuff, (laughs) trying to survive, losing weight, whether you want to or not, okay? And all of a sudden, mom and dad, they're geniuses. So much so that you call them and ask for help again and stuff like that, okay? And what we're gonna see is discipline. Our our parents discipline us for good. We're gonna see the exact same thing with God. Okay, we see that true in the family, we see that true in the workplace, we see that true in the military. You have to have discipline, 
Okay, it's good. But our world today, and I got an article I want to share, if I can get that far, uh, how our world is saying, "Uh uh-uh. And you wonder why things are getting out of control. But let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Spare the rod, the top of the page there, 119. When I was around 10 years old, again, Chastity, not me, the author who's writing this, uh, my dad came home from work one day with a large roll of linoleum flooring. He is a carpenter, and many times he would bring home uh, things for work that had been taken out of houses and buildings, and he was remodeling, and the flooring was destined for our kitchen floor, and so he took great care unloading it and laying it on the front porch. If you've ever seen the old thin type of linoleum flooring, you know that sometimes it can tear or break if you're not careful. How many of you guys done that? So if you sneeze on it, the thing tears. Okay. He said, after placing it gingerly on the porch, he, my dad, told all of his children not to touch it. How many guys... That's usually the point where you start to get in trouble. Don't touch the shiny red button. What do you have to do after that order was given? I've got to touch that shiny red button, right? I've shared this before, but if you guys recall, and I really like the analogy, it's Chuck Swindoll, and he talks about uh, there was a problem in Hawaii on some of the uh, hotels that were literally right on the beach, okay? And uh, once in a blue moon, they would have a a problem that the... uh, it's several floors, and they had balconies with these glass plate windows or sliders. And once in a blue moon, the hotel would have a problem. People would actually, it was so close to the ocean, and they had the balcony right there at the back of uh, the hotel on the ocean. They would try to fish from the balcony, okay? And, of course, to cast your line out that far, you had to get one of those big, giant lead weights, right? Well, if you weren't a, too nifty of a caster, what would happen is they'd come back in, about three or four floors down, and smash into somebody else's plate glass window and bust it. So once in a blue moon, that would happen. So a true story, he says, uh, somebody in management got this bright idea. What they would do is we're going to put a stop to that once and for all. What we're going to do is we're going to put up signs in every single hotel room in this hotel, do not fish from the balcony. That fixed it, right? Because they put up that sign of telling people don't fish from the balcony, it gave them the idea to Hey, I want to fish from the balcony. And it actually increased it, the problem, and it made it 10 times worse. And so they had to go back and take all the signs down. And once again, it died down. And that's what we see, unfortunately, with our behavior. When we're told to do something, what does that old sin nature want to do? We want to rebel and we want to do it anyway. And so that's what happened with this uh, linoleum here. After placing it gently on the front porch, he told all of his children not to touch it and entered the house. For some reason, it looked to me like it would be awfully fun to run along top of the roll. And so I started to contemplate it in my mind. That evening, as my brother and I were running and playing in the front yard, I took a detour on, uh, up on the porch and ran the length of the rolled linoleum. I had just finished my rebellious run when I heard the front door open behind me, and you guessed it, my dad was watching us play out the window and had seen everything. He invited me. How many guys remember those invitations from dad? Mm-hmm, you know, and you get the look. He invited me into the bathroom for a brief talk and a firm laying on of hands, i.e. spanking. Uh, I had been openly rebellious against my father's rule, and as a result was a swift retribution. I now know that my dad's chastening of me was because he loved me too much to let me grow up with such a rebellious attitude, and I'm very thankful for his wise exercise of discipline. It was all part of his overall training for me. How many guys loved getting a whooping growing up? No, except for Roberta, we'll pray for you later. And you raised your hand a second time. I can't believe that. Anyway, that's right. <laughs> okay, no, but when you get finally 21, you finally get on your own, you realize that mom and dad's not that dumb. You know, they're smart. Okay, they did that because they loved me. They saw what I either didn't see or wouldn't want to admit because of my rebellious nature. I'm heading down a harmful road, so they spanked me right back where I need to go, right? 
It's the same thing we're going to see spiritually, okay? But before we get that, okay, let us understand that the Bible says discipline is not only good, but when you despise discipline, I'm not making this up. This is actually what the scripture says. You're being what? Stupid. It's not a politically correct word, but it's in the scripture. And this isn't the only time Paul uses it. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 12 is the first one. We're going to take a, a look there at a couple passages. Proverbs chapter 12. Paul uses this. We saw this before uh, when it talks about the Galatians. And it says, um, uh, you foolish Galatians, you know, who has bewitched you? How could you start out uh, trusting in the spirit of God for your salvation? You're going back to legalism. Okay, the word there with foolish basically in the Greek means exactly that. I, you guys are, you're being stupid. What are you doing? I can't believe it. Utterly shocked. Well, this is what the Bible says when it comes about uh, discipline. Okay, Proverbs chapter 12. Look at a couple passages here. Yeah. 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. What? What? Yeah, that's just one passage, folks. Okay, it's a good thing. It's not just a good thing, but when you resist it, you're being stupid. Okay, you can say that. Okay, it's a good word. It stings, doesn't it? doesn't sound good. Well, it shouldn't sound good. Okay, it's what he's saying there. Let's go look at another one. Uh, just the next chapter, uh, verse, uh, thir- uh, chapter 13, verse 1. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not listen to what? Rebuke. Okay, somebody's correcting you. Okay. Uh, chapter 13, go down to verse 18. He who ignores discipline comes to what? A great life. Because we all know that children, if you inhibit them with discipline, how dare you? You will destroy their self-esteem and you will, they will not learn the path of freedom because you have inhibited their growth with your invasive behavior on them. That's what society says, right? No, it says you're going to lead to a life of poverty and shame. But whoever heeds correction is what? Honored is what he says there. Uh, Chapter 15, a couple more verses here, and we'll move on. Chapter 15, verses 10, or verse 10, stern discipline awaits him who leaves the path. You get out of line, what's going to happen? Discipline, okay? And you're going to get some stern discipline. He who hates correction is going to what? Die, okay? And that's nothing. And then let's take a look at verses 31, 32, and 33 of the same chapter, verse 15. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise, and he who ignores discipline despises himself. Isn't that interesting? If you ignore discipline, you're actually saying, I can't stand myself. I, I want to I purposely do myself harm. How many of us wake up in the morning and go, yeah, I want to torture myself? Okay, when we have that attitude, when it comes to being corrected or rebuked or disciplined, okay, that's what the scripture says. That's not a wise thing to do. But whoever heeds correction gains understanding. The fear of the Lord, getting a spanking from him, teaches a man wisdom. And humility comes uh, before honor. So the Bible says that obviously discipline is not only something that's going to happen. Discipline is not only something that's good to do. Okay, and again, let me give you an analogy. And this is common sense. How well does a child come out First of all, let's give you a couple of them. In the family setting, that's what we've been writing on is that analogy, right? If you never, ever, ever discipline your kids growing up, what's going to happen to them? Turn out rebellious. That's right, Junior, turn out rebellious. Praise God, he spoke up. But that's right. Yeah, right? Right, we need to. Why? Because they have a sin nature just like us. 
Okay, and as children, as parents, it's our job to train them in the instruction of the Lord, his way, which is, as we saw before, name one commandment that's bad for us. It's all for our good, right? So we get out of line because we love them, we get them back on track. If my son's playing out in the street, I talked about this before as an analogy, okay? Am I going to intervene or not intervene? Am I going to yell at him to get out of the street when a car comes down? Is it loving of me to not say nothing? I don't want to damage his making process and destroy his self-esteem. No, as a parent, I'm charged. Get out of there. I'll run. I'll risk my life because I love him. I see the danger he cannot see. Now, let's do, so discipline, obviously we know if you don't do it in the family, messes the family up, right? Okay, that's pretty obvious. Second one is in the workplace. Anybody ever had to work with somebody that just didn't do their job? Whether you were in a management position or whether you, it was a fellow employee that basically didn't put the burden on you because then you had to take up the slack. Okay, or you also got in trouble because they're slack behavior. Anybody ever done that? Okay, Brandy used to have to deal with this all the time when she worked for the state of California. And uh, she was in personnel, so she got to see all the cases and all that stuff. And people are so sue happy, and I I'm, would assume it's the same thing here in, in Nevada, whatever, state jobs, whatever, not just picking on state people, but, but there would literally be people that'd be working there for year after year after year after year that literally, is, to my knowledge, are still not doing their job and I mean not doing their job. I'm not talking just goofing off. They literally are not doing their job. But because every time they're corrected or try to be corrected, they threaten a lawsuit. They threaten some sort of a, a racial discrimination, a female discrimination, a employer discrimination, something like that. They literally back off and they literally will allow those people to continue to draw a paycheck. She was there. She saw it. She was in personnel having to write the checks and this stuff and, and seeing all the legal cases against these people. They couldn't get rid of these people. Okay, now if you ever had to work with somebody like that, okay, and if you had a private company, that's a state, and unfortunately that's a whole other issue, but if you had a private company, and let's say you had 10 employees, how long would your company last if when your employees did not do their job, i.e. they needed to be disciplined, and you never did nothing? How long would your company last? It'd go belly up real quick, wouldn't it? So you need to have discipline even in the workplace. Now, so that's number two. How about in the military? I'm sure there's much of us here in the military world know that there's absolutely no discipline when it comes to the military life. <laughs> right? How long would you last? Or what would happen to you as a private? If you went up to your sergeant who gave you an order and says, who are you, buddy? Take a hike. What would you do? And then he says, give me 50 push-ups. Yeah, 50 push-ups, mush-ups. You do them yourself. What would happen to the guy? Right? Now, why is there discipline in that arena? Well, that's not the kind of soldier you want. That's not the kind of buddy you want on the battlefield when you're supposed to be taking orders from the guys who are the higher-ups. Okay? You don't want somebody to say, no, I think we need to go over this hill. No, I think we need to go over here. No, this is my life, and I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm not going to listen to you. It puts everybody else's life in danger, doesn't it? You learn discipline. So how well would your army be? How well would your military outreach or battle plan be if nobody would obey orders? i.e. they need to be disciplined. If you never discipline, just let them do whatever they want. Now let me the fourth one, because this is really what this is about. What if you never did in your church? Uh-oh, he's going to Midland now. Why is it we always know that if your, your family's going to turn out absolutely horrid if you don't discipline your children, your workplace will go belly up, you'll have an absolute nightmare on your hand, you'll lose the battle if you don't have disciplined military, but for some reason, oh no, it's no. Mm -mm -mm. Interesting. 
Let's listen to what it is. What we're going to see, folks, is it is one of the biggest statements of love from God as our Heavenly Father, okay, as our Heavenly Father. Okay, but listen, this is what I've learned over years in ministry as a pastor. It's also a message of love from your pastor and from your church leadership, okay, when it comes to discipline, okay? I did not like disciplining when I first got into ministry because nobody likes conflict, okay? You're always worried about the backlash and what people are going to do, okay? And uh, because, you know, people don't like correction, as we saw, it's not, okay, it's going to happen. But over the years, God convicted my heart, and I had to get my heart right with God as a pastor, that one of the most unloving things I could ever do to a parishioner in, in the, the, the flock that I am charged by God to oversee is to do nothing, because when you see, as my son in the road, physically in harm with danger, it would be the most egregious thing for a parent to see a car coming and do zilch. What kind of a parent would do that? But the Bible says, as a pastor, as a shepherd, as leadership, if you see people in the congregation who are in danger of spiritual danger, which is called sin or sinful behavior, okay, and you say nothing, what kind of a pastor is that? that would let his flock go into danger and do nothing with no consequences. And so oftentimes when I've had to do that, okay, and I've had to be a part of it, I think in pretty much every church I've been to, because it happens, okay? You don't like it, but I go in with the confidence, okay, that, you know, this is an act of love. You may not like it. How many of you guys as parents tried to convince to your kids, listen, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And as a kid, what'd you say? Oh, yeah, right. Person, you didn't say that, or you get it harder making, but you thought that. Okay, but anyway, it's the same thing. I go into that. So listen, I know they're not going to like this, but whatever. I go in because God says that I'm a horrible pastor if I don't discipline. Because they either don't want to admit or they can't see that what they're doing is leading down a harmful road. They're going to get hit by a car spiritually. I have to at least yell and say, stop, or get out of the road. I have to say something. Okay, so again, that's what I've learned. Whereas we're going to see with our text, we're going to read it here in a second. It's one of the best things that God could ever do for us, love, because it keeps us on the path of righteousness, which is for our own good. And you know what? It's one of the best things you could ever do for your church. Okay, let's take a look at this. What is God's discipline? This is the classic text found in the book of Hebrews. Let's go ahead, instead of reading their uh, thing there, let's go ahead and read it ourselves with the Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Mm. Hebrews. That's why Tom makes the coffee in the morning. That's right, Hebrews. Orson, you got that one. That's good. All right. Hebrews chapter 12. Okay. And starting with verse 4. Here's what it says In your struggle against sin. Now, notice it's not in your compromise against sin, it's in your rationalization of sin, it's your promotion of sin, it's your silence towards sinful behavior. Notice there's supposed to be a struggle, okay, a resistance. Uh, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you've forgotten the word of torture. You've, got, you've forgotten the word of, boy, that person really does not like me. No, here's a word of encouragement. This, this should encourage you, okay, that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's what? Discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those whom he what? loves and he punishes i think it's mastigoi in the greek that's for scourging that's whooping in the old testament now this is really will blow us away but in the old testament that's was something the father did sometimes he whooped his children with the whip because he loved them now we say that today and you're going to get in big trouble wait till you get to the article i got here in a second 
It's way over the other edge. Okay, he says this, endure hardship then as what? You mean sometimes the hardships that we go through as Christians could be a spanky wanky from God? This is what I've learned either personally or I've seen uh, in church world. Um, sometimes, you know, you go through hardship and you don't look at it as God's discipline, so it goes right over your head, doesn't it? Because you never ask the question, maybe I did get out of line. Maybe this is a spanking from God, and you need to stop and ask God, God, did I do something? You know, sometimes it's just, as we saw, there was 19 other reasons why difficulties happen. I'm not saying it's every single time, but I think we've gone to the other end of the spectrum, and we, we, we say, oh, no, that can't be from God, because he's a grandfather in the sky, and he only wants to take me to Disneyland, spiritually. No, sometimes he'll spank you. Okay, God, did I do something wrong? Is this, is this from a behavior? Okay. This is a word of encouragement, okay? He says, so endure hardship as discipline. God's treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everybody undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons, right? If you're sitting there and you're saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and you've never, ever, 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 ever got spanked by God, then I love this phrase. I think um, it says, if you aren't experiencing any resistance, then maybe it's because you and the devil are going the same direction. Maybe that's why you never get a spanking from God because you don't belong to God because if you do belong to God, it's going to happen once in a while because he loves you. As a parent who would warn their child of danger, get out of the road. And that's what he says here. Okay, let's continue on. He says this, moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our what? Good, that we may share in, here's his goal, holiness. Can I translate that for you? He wants us to look like Jesus. How many guys ever once in your Christian life, and I hope every hand goes up, so I'm baiting you, has ever prayed a prayer, oh, I want to look like Jesus. I want to be conformed to his image. I want to be holy as he is holy. Anybody? Praise God, two of you. Well, when you start not turning out that way, guess what's going to happen? You picture a piece of clay, right? And it's supposed to look like Jesus, all right? And it's going and you got the head going on, but the more it's starting to work, all the next thing you know, it's starting to look like Frankenstein, all right? So what do you do? I quit. I, no, all right, let's start moving the thing around. And so if we start getting conformed and we got the basic shape, but the shape is starting to not really look like Jesus, what do you do as a sculptor if you've ever worked with clay? You gotta pound it a little bit and shove it here and a little there because you, you're a horrible sculptor. No, you have to get it back into shape because it's starting to get out of direction, right? Same thing that we're talking about here. He wants us to share in his holiness. So he'll do what it takes to get us back into shape, okay? And sometimes that's hard times. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Nobody likes spankings, but it's painful. But later on, it produces, you know, when you turn 21, and mom and dad's not so dumb after all. Okay, later on, uh, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been uh, trained by it. Okay, so that's why God does it. He does it because he loves us. Okay, now I want to share with you some, uh, I just came across this. In fact, there's another one. Brandy just came across today. It's something, another case that's going on in Delaware. But listen to this, guys. We're talking about discipline. This is how bad it's getting uh, in our world today. A pastor was sentenced to two years in prison for teaching that parents should spank their children. Listen to this. This really happened. Do you believe that parents should be able to spank their children? Do you ever express that opinion to others? If so, then you could be sent to prison. 
Sadly, that's exactly what happened to one pastor in Wisconsin recently. He sentenced to two years in prison for simply, listen, just teaching on it. He didn't do it. He's just teaching on that parents should spank their children when they misbehave. He was not accused of spanking anyone or physically hurting anyone. He was put in prison simply for his speech. He was put in prison simply for what he was teaching others to do. Whether you agree with spanking or not, this should be incredibly sobering for all of us. Increasingly, speech is being penalized in the United States. If the trend continues, many of you that are reading this article might be put in jail for things that you say in the coming years. And listen to this. He, the pastor, will be on an extended supervision for six years after the two years of prison. And listen to this. Despite objections from his lawyers of un- unconstitutional grounds, he was still ordered that he will not have any conflict, even if he gets out, with his previous church, and he will have no leadership role in any church in our country right now. He didn't even do it. He just said, discipline, spanking's okay. That's what's happening. Thank you. Well, and Lord willing, we're going to get to this and much, much more when we get to the topic of one world religion and how we are going to become the new terrorists on the planet, folks. You think it's uh, okay what's happening to the Muslim extremists? Better pay attention to the propaganda. They're using the same terms on you and I, the evangelical Christian. And they are going to turn this beloved book called the Bible into what is called hate speech. And if we promote what the Bible says that disagrees with anything that they want us to say is true, then we are going to be guilty of a hate crime, whether it's spanking, whether it's homosexuality, or whether it's quoting John fourteen six that says Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. That is going to be a hate crime and we will be sentenced for it. And listen, I warn you, listen, it ain't just me, just as a pastor. It's going to be every single person that has the audacity to do this. I've been warning this since 9-11. After 9-11, folks, all of a sudden the terminology came out. I heard from the mouths of Christians, get those Muslims, kill them. It's like, what? Okay, and then as you begin to pay attention to the propaganda, they start saying uh, uh, fundamentalists, right-wing extremists, the same terminology's on us. I'm going, are you crazy? You're digging your own grave. You're sitting on one breath. Yeah, go get those guys, okay? Because they have the audacity to say that Muhammad is the only way. What are we saying? They're wrong. But we're saying, in essence, the same thing, i.e., there is only one way. We're next. And it's already starting here in America, even to the point, not just the homosexual issue. How dare you spank your child? Okay, it isn't just coming, it's here. He's in two years right now in jail. When he gets out, six years probation. He cannot have any communication with his previous church and he can't pastor in any church ever again in America. Now I said all that to set you up. Can you believe the audacity and, and the resistance of our world against this topic? Just, that's just the one topic, discipline. I'm gonna share this with you. Folks, I see the same thing right there in the church. I think one of the weakest things in the American church today that's lending to the American church going into apostasy, the American church having so much hypocrisy, the American church losing its salt, losing its light, losing its influence to infect and affect the culture is because we are allowing so much sin in the church and we're doing nothing, which means we're not doing this. And so on the one breath, we'd have audacity. How in the world could you resist it? It's just, it's spanking and he gets jailed. Spiritually, we're doing the same thing. And we wonder why the church 
is going down the tubes because we have listened to our society that says discipline equals bad. And yet the Bible, we just read it, guys, says it's because of love. But we're listening to the world and it's infecting the church today. Okay, let me give you some examples of that, uh, hopefully real quickly, and uh, uh, of that. Number one, God will discipline you when you complain. We never complain, do we? Now, I don't have time to read the text because we're running out of time, but anyway, Numbers chapter 11, okay, and that's the classic text, is when they were complaining about God's uh, provision, okay, is in there, okay, and uh, not just his, his decision of the direction was the first one, if you read the context there, they're complaining about where God was leading them, <laughs> Okay, then they're complaining about what the, the food they had to eat. <laughs> and we never do that because we're always so grateful for the leading of the Lord and what he would have us to do. And we say, yes, sir, Captain, sir, and all that stuff. And, 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 and thank you, God, for this food. And, and thank you for the woo-hoo cake because I am thankful for that. But if it isn't the woo-hoo cake and it's a cake, then we start complaining. And... No. God doesn't, hey, do you guys like it when you, when you buy stuff for your kids or you take care of your kids and they, I don't want these pair of jeans. I want the pair of jeans that had the fancy labels on the back. See, I, I ain't getting those shoes from Walmart. I gotta have these $150. And as a parent, you go, yeah, that's my kid. I'm so proud of you. Whoa. No, you're not being conformed to the image. I'm hoping you're supposed to. Hey, God doesn't want that from his kids either. What kind of an advertisement is that? I'm a Christian. And you walk around the world complaining. What's that say about God? Like he doesn't know what he's doing? He can't lead us in the right direction? He doesn't know how to provide for us? Excuse me? How many guys, I've said this before, I'll say it again. This is Matthew chapter six. How many guys got clothes on tonight? How many guys have some food in your gut? Okay, how many guys have a place to sleep tonight? Praise God, life is good, right? That's Matthew six. Whatever you eat, drink, wear, don't worry about it. Hey, just seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, he'll take care of you. Okay, we should be very content. But sometimes that's gonna happen if you want to read the context, Numbers uh, chapter 11. Uh, another thing that we do, again, with kind of the, the direction is leadership, okay? Uh, we see this over and over again. We saw that with Miriam in uh, Numbers chapter 12 and Numbers chapter 16 and Korah's rebellion, okay? So when it comes to our leadership, we never whine or complain about it, do we? Because we know it's the sovereignty of God that places the leadership that we have over and above us. And so we're respectful and we just are, man, why is he going to Medlin so early? Hurry up and get this over, Pastor Billy. Uh, yeah, that's what happens. And boy, it didn't turn out too well. Miriam broke out with leprosy, okay? Because she had the audacity to speak out against Moses. Korah uh, and 250 other guys uh, got toast, got swallowed up by God, okay? And were taken out. God knows what he's doing. Uh, how, how about this when it comes to uh, a sin, uh, uh, compromising? You guys ever hear of a guy named Achan, Joshua chapter 7, if you want to read there? Did, did, did he get disciplined? Uh, he hid it in the tent, right? I mean, because God can't see in the dark. He never sees what we do on the computer or nothing like that. He, when we close that door in our house, he doesn't see nothing. <laughs> Especially if we wear that little uh, triangle tinfoil on our head. Ooh, he can't see me. No, he sees it all, right? And that's exactly it. When we compromise with sin, this is the other thing. Now, extrapolate this in the church family. As he learned, Achan learned, it didn't, his compromise with sin didn't affect just him. It affected who? And when we compromise with sin, the church, it spreads. 
and it'll affect the church, the family of God. Okay, here's another one. Uh, and so uh, lying to people, you think, well, that's just God. He uh, was kind of mean in the Old Testament, but we're under grace. No, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, they lied, gave an offering, lied about it, boasted about it. Okay, they sold it for a certain amount, and, but they told the church it was this, or they kept part back of it, and they lied. Okay, so the guy comes in first, Ananias and, and, and Sapphira, and his wife falls him shortly there later. Uh, he dies, drops dead on the floor. Peter says, you're not lying to us, man. You're lying to God. Okay, as if you could hide that from him. And then she came in and did the same thing, to, and she died, carried out both of their bodies. Okay, now if that were to happen, if people in their offerings were to, you know, well, I just don't have money this week. Okay, uh, and if God were to treat us as he did with Ananias and Sapphira, man, what would happen? We'd have to have a lot of caskets and body bags and some strong men if, if any of us would survive. Next week, offering probably would go up. <laughs> right? What? I'm telling you, God doesn't like lying. And as we saw, I'm not going to believe this, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, okay, uh, we saw that even when you take communion in an unworthy manner, and that was that whole sermon I did, if you were here for that, if you have the audacity, communion which celebrates our union with Jesus Christ, he's made us one body, and yet d- before communion, and you've been guilty of divisive, selfish, self-centered behavior causing a ruckus in the church, and you have the audacity to take communion without a repentant heart of that behavior. He said, that's why some of you are sick and you've also died. Whew. That's pretty serious stuff. How are you supposed to handle it? Turn your Bibles, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Verses 15 through 18. Here's what he says. If your brother sins against you. Key word there, sin. Okay, this is how you deal with problems in the church. Okay. If a brother sins against you, notice the word there again, sin. It's not if it's something that is a pet peeve of yours. It's not something that, well, they sat in my pew. That's not a sin, believe it or not, unless they're doing it on purpose to cause whatever. Okay, it's not because they, uh, they dropped your spoon at the potluck. <sighs> it's a sin. Not a personal preference, not a pet peeve. It's an actual sin. All right, but if that happens, here's the good news. There's a way out of this mess. You go and you go straight to the pastor. If your brother sins against you, you better call a meeting with the deacons. ASAP, take care of this right now because they're going to go get that person. No, what's it say? If you need to discipline the church, you need to correct behavior, what do you do? You go to that person. I call it redirecting. I have people all the time. And it's just here in Sunrise, it's everywhere I've been. Okay, pastor, so-and-so did this to me. Really? Did you talk to him? No, that's why I'm telling you. Hey, I'd love to help. I'll certainly pray with you, but the Bible says you need to go to them first. You're skipping two steps, and God's not going to bless that. And I want his blessing. You go to that person first. You take care of it, okay? Nine times out of ten, they don't do it. You know why? Because what I've learned, sometimes it's a legitimate issue, but sometimes it's not, Okay? And the reason why you don't go deal with it because it's a bunch of baloney in the first place. But anyway, you're supposed to go to them and show them his fault just between the two of you. Not like tell 15 people around the church and start gossiping and slandering, okay? You go to that person first just between the two of you, keep it private. 
okay, and cause a ruckus. Don't do that. He says, now listen, here's the good news though. But if for some reason didn't listen, didn't work, you know, because the whole purpose of discipline is restoration. Then what do you do? You take somebody that agrees with absolutely everything you believe in with you. No, take somebody else with you. Dare I say practical advice is somebody who is truly impartial, okay, with you uh, uh, and, uh, or some, uh, one or two others along so that by every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refused to listen even then, all right, then that's when it says there to what? You tell it to the church. Now listen, if he refuses to listen even to the church, what do you do? Treat that person as you would a pagan or a tax collector. You're out of here. But that's, that you can't do that until you go through the proper steps. And this is what I, I said before. I've learned if you do it God's way, he will bless it. When you skip the steps, it creates havoc in the church because he's not going to bless sin on top of sin, including misproper discipline. That's sin too if you don't do it right. Okay? So you need to do it right. If your brother sins against you, you go to them, you keep your mouth shut, and you do it between the two of you. You don't cause a ruckus in the church, okay? You don't cause gossip and slander because that's a sin. You're going to make it for that one too, okay? If that doesn't work, you take two, one or two impartial people with you who are not just yes men who are going to agree with everything you say, but truly are going to listen to both sides. Then you go deal with it. And if that still doesn't work, then and only then do you take it to the church. God will bless that even if it goes to the worst case scenario and that person truly did sin and truly was not repentant and you have to kick him out of the church. What? Yes, I've actually had to do that before. We, we actually, there's another passage, don't have time to get to it, but it says to, don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless by two or three witnesses. A pastor is an elder, okay? And this actually happened back in New York and was guilty of division. This man, this elder, and he was causing division in the church, Okay? And uh, the Bible says in that case, you're supposed to publicly announce that. So we not only had to release him, okay, but I had to publicly get in front of the church and I had to explain the ordeal and here's what we did. And because of that, the church was absolutely destroyed. No, it did exactly what the Bible says would happen so that others may take heart. You know actually what happened when we did that first disciplinary measure back then? The church actually grew. You know Why? Because there were so many people who refused to come to that church because prior to that disciplinary action, they were so sick and tired of the same old baloney going on and on and on. And when they heard, whoa, new leadership, they ain't putting up that baloney, I'm coming back. Because now I know the same old baloney isn't going to keep going forward. I like this church. The church grew. And then everybody else who was kind of like probably goofing around a little bit, thinking that nobody sees, I guess I better stop doing that because they're going to come after me. Uh Uh-huh. It did exactly what the Bible says to do. Titus chapter 3, turn over there. This is one of the uh, easy examples you can do. And this is dealing with the issue of division. Here's what you're supposed to do. Titus chapter 3, verse 10. He says, here's what you do. How do you discipline? How do you handle that? Does division always have to go on in church endlessly forever and ever and ever and ever? No, just do what God says to do and he'll bless it. Here's what you do though, but God's fair. He's got a rule, it's called three strikes, you're out, right? You warn a divisive, verse 10, you warn a divisive person once, what? Even after that warning, they did it again? Well, what do you do? You warn them a second time, what? And he did it again? Well, what's step three? After that, 
have nothing to do with them. You know what that is? Bye. You're gone. Maybe later down the road, we see this with, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians when Paul had to do the same thing with another immoral believer. They come back later with a repentant heart. Truly, you can work at restoration. All disciplines for the purpose of restoration. But if you're causing division in the church, you warn them once, you warn them twice, three strikes, you're out of here. Because a little bit of leaven spoils the lump. You start that divisive behavior, you stir the pot, you start, and boy, that's healthy for a church, isn't it? Paul says, you spot that little thing, you better warn them once, you better warn them twice, and you better get them out of here because they'll take down your church. Ooh. And that's all because God uh, hates us. And he's just trying to really just make it really, are you kidding me? He loves us as his children. He loves us as his church. And when he sees danger, just like my son going out in the street, when he sees danger in the church, he tells us what you're supposed to do to get rid of the danger. But yet the irony is we'll sit there and we'll say, how could they jail that pastor? And yet we have the same attitude of resistance when it comes to discipline in the church. Let me give you one more and then we'll have to close. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to this. This is cool. Paul says this, uh, verse 1. He said, it is, he's talking to the church. It is actually reported Okay, that there is sexually immorality among you. You, you can hear his heart. It's like, wh- what? I mean, did you see that? It's like, excuse me? <laughs> and then he says, and then uh, it, there's different forms of sexual immorality. He says, and then there's, it's of a kind that doesn't even occur among the pagans. A man has his father's wife. There's a guy in your church that's sleeping with his stepmom. What? And then listen to what he says. He says, and you're proud? Well, we're a loving church. We believe that people, we, we can't, you know, discipline, we can't intervene because we believe that over time, through some sort of spiritual osmosis, they will catch the message that they should refrain from that behavior. We will say, mm-mm, and somehow that's love. You're proud of that? Excuse me? Is what he's saying there? He says this, shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief? Oh, no, no, not brother so-and-so. No, 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 not in this church. Is that our, our attitude? He says this, he says, and what? What do you do with that person? Put that, put him out of your fellowship, the man who did this. Even though I'm not even physically present there. I'm out of town, man. I'm with you in spirit. And I've already passed, what's he say there? What's the word there? Judgment. Now, we're going to deal with this, Lord willing, once we get to one world religion. You know one of the biggest lies upon the American church today? You shall not judge. Who are you to judge me? Because as soon as you start to administer discipline, who are you to judge? I'm not judging you. God's word is judging you. Can I give you an analogy? What you're supposed to do, Christian individually, we'll see that in a second, and pastor and church leadership. Yes, you are not the one judging, but you're acting as a judge. We have a courtroom of guys who sit in black robes behind this big, giant, tall desk-looking thing. Okay, and this nifty-looking hammer thing. Bang! Okay, what does he do? What is his name? He is called a judge. In essence, he's just a spokesperson for the law. He's not really judging. He's acting as judge in enforcing the law. So yes, I am not supposed to judge you, but I am a spokesperson for the law. 
God's law. It's Him that is judging you. I'm just upholding it as we're all supposed to. Do you see the ruse that's being placed on us? And this whole secular baloney that we can't judge one another has become an excuse that you can't say squat about my behavior. And Paul's going, what? Oh, but he gets even more blatant. Listen to what he says. He says, I'm passing judgment on the one who did this just as if I were present. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and I'm with you in spirit, the power of our Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to who? Satan. So that the sinful nature may be destroyed and the spirit saved on the day of the Lord because we love this guy. We see the harm. Man, we'll just get him out. Oh God, we, we, we don't wish that you know, he'd be completely uh, destroyed by Satan, but we know that your hand will discipline him hoping that he comes back. We see later the good news in uh, 2 Corinthians, he does. Okay, but he, he dealt with him. He said, your boasting's not good. Who do you, what, you really think that's great by saying nothing? He says, don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may have a new batch uh, without the yeast as you really are. Okay, now listen to this. It isn't just the sexually immoral guy. Listen to the standard in the church. He says there in verse nine, he says, I've written you in my letter not to associate with what? Now he says, not only put them out of the church, what are you supposed to not do? Don't even hang around them. Other passages say, well, well, that would hurt their feelings. Yes. Well, that would make them feel shameful. Yes. Because that is inappropriate behavior. When you got spanked by your parents, you felt kind of down, didn't you? You felt embarrassed. You felt shamed of what you did. Hopefully, Right? And the same thing, he says, he says he, uh, the same thing, don't even associate. Listen, he says, not at all meeting people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. He's not talking about the non-Christian. Listen to what he says here. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, a Christian, but is sexually immoral. Listen, isn't just even that. But even somebody who's a Christian who's greedy. E- even a Christian who's an idolater. Listen. Even a Christian who's a slanderer, who goes around the church talking smack. He says, don't even hang around somebody like that. I'll never forget when a pastor had shared this true story. There was a lady in his church that was the gossip. She's always going around slandering, causing trouble in the church. And he, he finally came across this passage, okay? And here she comes down the hallway, because that's what she do. Pastor, did you hear about Just chase him down. First of all, wouldn't follow Matthew 18, but she was, she was the gossip of the church, right? And so he read that passage and got convicted. And so he had a new program. And his new program was every time she'd come down the hallway, he'd turn and start running. Okay? And seriously. And then next, next Sunday or next study, and here she comes again. She's coming to him. He could tell, oh, here she comes. He, he'd turn and go. Go around the hallway, go around the corner, go back in his office, just get away from her. And she finally got him, and she thought he was kind of joking after several times of doing this. And she says, Pastor, are you trying to avoid me? He said, yes, because the Bible says, I'm not supposed to associate with you. You are God you're causing disruption in the church. I, I can't even speak to you right now because of what you were doing. So what the Bible says, don't even associate with somebody like that, okay? <clears throat> or a drunkard or a swindler with such a man don't even eat, okay? Listen to this. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not, listen, he's talking to the church. Remember, we're, we're, we're not supposed to judge, Listen to how many times he said this as it continues on to chapter six. He says, are you not to judge those inside the church? 
God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Listen, if any of you has a dispute with one another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment and before the who? And that's the passage where Christians were so, so inept today with discipline, they refuse to uh, uh, judge one another and their behavior and administer discipline that they actually, in their altercations, were going to the court before the non-Christians and suing each other. Good thing that never happens today. That's what he says. Now listen to this. He says this. He says, verse two, don't you know that the saints will what? Judge the world. And if you are to what? Judge the world. Are you not competent to what? Judge trivial cases. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more things than of this life? There are four, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges, even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it not possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to what? Judge a dispute between believers, but instead a brother goes to law against another and this in front of unbelievers. How many times did he say, I can't believe it, you guys aren't judging. And yet what's the lie from this stinking world that has infected the church today? Oh no, you can't judge me, don't judge me. What are you, you're judging me? You can't judge me, excuse me. Every one of us, if you remember, if you're following the word of God, Matthew 18, or in church leadership, whatever the role is. Yes, we are not judging, but if you are, if you're following the scripture and upholding the scripture, you're like a little miniature judge in a black robe. Yes, you're not judging somebody, but you are the one who's the mouthpiece like the judge. Now, listen, as in closing, I had this guy had wrote this, and, and the whole question is, gee whiz, if discipline is so important in the church, and if just discipline is for the health of the church, and if discipline is one of the most loving things that God could do for us to steer us out of trouble, including your pastor and leadership, to for the health of the church, then why in the world don't churches discipline? I'll give you a couple reasons real quick as we close. This guy writes this. Here's the reason. Number one, the relativism of our culture and our unwillingness to be considered judgmental. That's exactly what we just dealt with. Because you're not supposed to judge. Number two, he says, the decline of respect in churches for the authority of the leaders. Well, that's just, that's just Deacon Orson, so what? He's my buddy. Now he's a deacon. He's a man of God. And God put him in that position. And if God's using that man to administer discipline, you better listen to him. That's God's man. It's a decline of respect for those who are in leadership. He says this, and uh, he says, uh, also two main fears, I'll add three. Number one, there's a fear of conflict. Nobody likes it. I didn't like it when I first got into ministry. Nobody likes conflict. But he says this, the fear of the loss of revenue is why churches don't do it. If too many people get upset, and some will, because they don't like, nobody likes discipline, and they threaten to leave, and they threaten uh, to uh, pull their cash out, so they don't discipline. And he says this, finally, the fear of litigation in churches, that another Christian will actually sue the church because they didn't like the church disciplining them. Good thing that never happens. Happened to the Bible college I went to. They got their pants sued off. Because one brother took him to court and almost bankrupt that church over a confrontation on sin. And yet, we wonder why there's so many troubles in the church. This for me personally, when I first came across flow charts, outlines, scripturally outlining, if this happens, do this. If a person does that, 
Here's the response. If they do this, if they slander, if they gossip, if they cause division, do this. I was so stinking glad <laughs> that there was instructions in the Bible how to deal with this because there's always problems. But it was so refreshing. When you do a study on discipline, all the answers are right there. And then if you just do it, the church is strengthened. Yes, strengthened. And you can move forward with confidence that God's going to bless even what we don't like, and that's called discipline. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, "...you shall not bear false witness." That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy, even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But, folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. And to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. 
That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us his son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, For instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, Uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive his pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.